So on uh, Sunday, we opened up with a Lord of the Rings analogy where power uh, was represented in that trilogy by a ring, and who had the ring had the power. And uh, the power was destroyed in the end, so the ring was destroyed by the good guys. And, uh, and then, you know, it comes to an end. And then, so I figured, why not uh, go on and do the Star Wars uh, saga? Much more than a trilogy, if, you've, if you're a fan of the Star Wars franchise, and it truly is, that there's movie after movie after movie, and that is because you have, uh, in, in every case, basically the same premise, where the evil folks kind of gain power, and the good guys got to find a way to uh, remove that power. Uh, in the opening one, of course, Luke blows up the Death Star in a, a final moment, fanatic use of the, not fanatic, but uh, heroic use of the force, and uh, boom, it goes up. And then you find out in the next movie, well, they're building another Death Star, and here we go again. So, but the thing about it, it, it these uh, uh, movies like this, between good and evil, we continue to enjoy them. And, <clears throat> you know, if they were of, uh, non-reality, if they were, in other words, if they weren't relatable, we wouldn't enjoy them so much. If it weren't for the fact that empires do rise and fall and rise again and fall again and rise again and fall again, and, and that we're actually quite familiar with this, that, you know, if it weren't that, if that weren't true, I don't think we'd, or I don't think as many people would return to be watching Star Wars movies. They'd get pretty sick of it, but we don't. Because it's actually a part of life. They're, even in our own lives, it's ups and downs. We have victories, we have failures. And uh, it is quite relatable. The same pattern in history. But now, as, as those who are students of the Bible, we see from beginning to end, evil rise and fall. And this is not all over the world, but in certain parts of the world, certain pockets. In places, evil rises, right? right? The Soviet Union is not the same anymore. Well, it isn't anymore, but Russia is not the same as it used to be. I'd rather be in Russia today than in, say, 1940 or 50 or 60. Um, things rise, fall, but then rise again, fall again, rise again, fall again. Why does this happen? Our passage in Second Thessalonians tells us why. Our passage also reveals that there's going to be one last rise of evil, and then it's going to fall forever, and it's never going to come back again. In the meantime, we're stuck in the roller coaster world. We're stuck in it, and we're not going to change it. The church is not going to change this pattern. It doesn't mean we can't have influence. We certainly do. So we could have influence that would actually bring down the empire a little bit. But if we think we finally defeated them and that they're never coming back, well, here they come again. Right? The beginning of America was a time here on this continent where you, know, you could probably look around and say, hey, we might have done this. You know, We might have eradicated evil from government. Uh, nope, it didn't take long. We're in a civil, we have civil war, not even 100 years later. So this not only happens in our societies, in our governments, it happens in our own homes. 
Things get good, things get bad, things get good, things get bad. It happens in our own souls. We go up, we go down, we go up, we go down. It's our world is like this. And so our passage is going to help us to cope with this and to do really well at it, in fact. So let's open up your prayer. We're going to go to 2 Thessalonians 2. Uh, you will have this passage, I hope, memorized by the time we're done with it. Second Thessalonians 2. Let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity to learn his word again and to be instructed in the ways of him and the ways of his will and to be so grateful and thankful uh, for his salvation and our position in him. So with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together, to hear your word, to be instructed by your spirit in your scripture. It is through the scripture alone that we understand and can know truth. And that truth is there and there only. It is your revelation of the truth. We thank you, Father, that through that revelation we have come to know you. And as through more of it, we will come to know you more. We also know that we're just scratching the surface here. That you are infinite and infinite in not only holiness but in wisdom. And we seek that wisdom, Father. We know we must fear you to obtain it. And so with great respect and awe, we come before you again, asking through you and your spirit to have just that much more wisdom in our hearts from your word. And we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So the mystery of lawlessness, that's in our passage. The mystery of lawlessness, uh, the word mystery means that something is revealed that was not revealed before. And now what lawlessness wants to do, which is truly what the word means without law, uh, what it wants to do we see because prophecy of the Old Testament and then the book of Revelation, which really opens it up, shows us that in the future what this lawless one who is Satan's man, wants to really do. And we can see it. Now we could just read Revelation and we'll see what he wants to do. And uh, he attempts it. Uh, but right now, until that time, we see that uh, he is restrained. In our passage, it says that God is restraining uh, in using something to restrain. And uh, the, the word means to hold down. At one point this week or either tomorrow or Thursday, we'll see that word. And that's what restraint means. It means you're holding them down. So what I like to think of it as um, being held underground, if you will, imprisoned. However, it dawned on me today that if I keep using that phraseology, somebody might think that I think that Satan is actually trapped in the earth in hell, uh, you know, working his magic, pulling his strings or whatever. That is not true. We are uh, certain from the scripture that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion. He's everywhere. He's the prince in the power of the air. He is, has a demonic network of perhaps billions of fallen angels who are all over the atmosphere, all over the earth, working their evil. However, with all of that, uh, those assets, firepower, if you will, ability, he's restrained. He's restrained by God. So, if they're restrained, then they do nothing, but actually we're told that they do quite a bit. And we're warned not to be deceived by them and not to be engulfed. I think of 1 Peter chapter 5 where Peter says the devil prowls around 
Resist him, he says, firm in your faith. And so we're warned that we must not fall prey. And in the scripture, it's pretty clear, if not very clear, because when I say pretty clear, it's true that Satan is allowed to do some physical things if God allows them. For instance, Paul said a messenger of Satan was given to buffet me, which means to punch me. Uh, We don't know exactly what that means. He doesn't reveal it to us, but we understand that God did allow some demon, some messenger of Satan to mess with Paul. Uh, Paul prays that uh, he put somebody in the hands of the devil. And so uh, when God allows it, and in the book of Job, Job comes to God and says, you know, uh, Job only worships you because you bless him, and, and God allows Satan to mess with him badly. Mess with him is a kind of a weak word for that. But, um, and so, but however, the majority by far is the warning against us against uh, for or against false doctrines, uh, lies, false ideas about everything whether it be what's true, um, how to handle my body, how to handle my life, how to, handle my, how to operate in my marriage, how to raise my kids, what's smart, what's not, what to watch, what not to watch, um, on and on. And, and with all of the details of life, and including religion, you know, what is true religion and what is not? And there's a lot of false ideas out there about what is that is calling itself religion when it's not. And, uh, and so we have uh, the, even though the Lord restrains this lawlessness, it's able to operate in terms of thinking and falsehood. And so it's able to pervade, as Satan is able to roam about this earth, control, if not literally control people, but if people want to give over their lives to lies, they are able to. And Satan takes advantage of that. Uh, the media, academia, the government, um, people are in charge of money. People are in, who have great power in this world. And they are uh, many of them, many, and I think a great majority of them are under the power of this lawlessness and it's a great name for it right it's someone who wants power and that's what they want more than anything are they so here comes a law that says well you can't do that do they say well it's too bad i mean i got to follow the law i really wanted all this power but i can't get it because the law tells me don't do that and uh, they are more than willing to break the law and get away with it and so they're lawless. Right? They have no authority. They have no moral authority. So the, what happens here is that there's a restraint. So the first thing we want to make sure we understand is that though they're restrained, they can control our thoughts. Not by possessing us. Right? So that has to be stated because people can get pretty kooky about this. Satan was in my bedroom and he told me to say or do something. And, you know, the devil made me do it. No. By getting you, the, the, this restrained lawlessness is able to teach its doctrines. And you can believe them if you like. Um, 
And so that is how they influence us. Now, when it comes to the power, and power is a, is a big part of this. When it comes to the power, where is the power? And it's always in the hands of some elites somewhere. Not, not just now, but always. And the elites in any society don't live in a vacuum. They're not alone. There are always others who want power. And they've got to get rid of them if they're going to keep power. And then there are the masses who, if the elites don't do things, at least in a way that keep the masses happy enough, that the masses are going to get discontent and cause trouble. And they don't want that. I mean, this has happened all throughout history. You know, the Roman Empire was the first to use imperialism. Imperialism is, I'm going to conquer your, your nation, and I'm going to put our people there as your ruler. So in other words, if someone goes to your house and says, all right, your house is mine now. In the past, it would be, your house is mine, but you get to rule it. Just pay me taxes. So that's actually how it works now, kind of. <laughs> right? It's not really yours. The bank owns it. Just pay. And, it's your, but, and we have a constitutional amendment against this. Say someone comes to your house and says, your house is mine now, and I'm going to put my troops in it. And they're going to watch your every move and make sure you don't do anything that I don't like. I think, is that a Fourth Amendment? I meant to go look it up, and I forgot. I don't have the amendments memorized. But you can't sequester troops in someone's home. It's against the law in our nation. But that's what imperialism is. And the Romans were the first to do it. So if things got kind of out of control in a certain Roman province, well, they'd send in the, the, the brute squad, you know, and, and, and squash it, which is what they did in Palestine. Well, they, the Romans called it Palestine, but Pompey conquered the Middle East in 63 B.C. because they weren't, they weren't doing what the Romans wanted them to do, so they went in there and conquered it. When there were Jewish revolts in the same, in, uh, I forget when it was, and but essentially, when the, the greatest Jewish revolt happened, the Romans went in and destroyed Jerusalem because they weren't going to put up with that. And that's imperialism. Now, with imperialism, there's always others who are vying for your power. In other words, it's not an easy ride. Once you gain power, now you've got to keep looking over your shoulder for all others who want your power. And you've got to keep the masses content or they'll take your power. And so what the ruling class always does is become incompetent. They make bad policies. They always do. And then the masses revolt somehow. And in this way, it makes it very hard for someone to get world domination. Very hard. You'd have to get everybody to submit to you. And say, well, this is Satan. But Satan, for whatever reason, is not allowed to do this himself. If he could do it himself, I would think he wouldn't need a man of lawlessness. But he has to use a human being. Perhaps it's part of the rules. And what restrains him. Now, there's, there's a lot of ideas of what the restraining is. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the church. But in actuality, it's also the governments or nationalism. Now, whether you, know, whether you agree with that or not, it doesn't matter. But what matters is, uh, or what is true, is that when the Antichrist does rise to power, 
This is in Daniel and in the book of Revelation. When he rises to power, there are three kingdoms that say no. And they war against him. And he wars right back. And he kills them. So he can't take power until these three kings that resist him are defeated. And it shows that. It just shows even there. Like in the tribulation itself, there are those who say, no, we're not going to let you rule us. And this gets right to what we want to talk about today. God's restraining, is restraining the mystery of lawlessness. Since it's mystery, it's a revelation now. It was a mystery. If you read all the Old Testament prophets, it, it just like if you were trying to figure out Christ from the Old Testament prophets, you'd see something of him, you'd see a shadow of him, but you wouldn't see the real clear picture of him. That doesn't happen until our age. And the same is true of this coming time, either tribulation or, or this um, man of lawlessness. But now it is revealed, so we could actually call it the revelation of lawlessness. And one day, God is going to lift his restraint. And when he does, we're told what that lawlessness is going to do. So the scriptures reveal this to us. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Paul says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. What? The day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So we see there, just in those first, in that first sentence, that there is apostasy, there is lawlessness, because that's his title. So there's a man of lawlessness, there'll be a, a, an opposition to God, that's in verse 4. He opposes and exalts himself against over every above every so-called God or object of worship. He wants to be worshipped, and he will take his place in the temple of God and claim to be God. That last part of verse 4 means that he claims to be God. So then Paul says, Do you not remember while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? He reminds them of this, that you were already told. And that's, that's important. It's important to say, well, oh yeah, I already learned this. That's an encouragement to really get it down. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only now, only he who now restrains him, or only now he who restrains him, will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then <clears throat> that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth to bring to an end by, appearance, by the appearance of his coming. So <clears throat> it's held that uh, restrain means to hold down. Then Paul throws in, don't forget, the Lord's going to return and destroy him. Just in case you get a little too carried away with, oh my God, is this really going to happen? It's kind of a, you know, rest in faith, please. The Lord is going to destroy him, so don't worry about it. But then he goes back to a description of him uh, in verse 9. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. Right? So the, it's Satan who empowers him with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth 
so as to be saved. And we'll spend, probably Thursday, we'll spend our time on that. Um, you know, who are the ones who are really deceived? And, and this helps us to make sure, because we're not of that category, not to get ahead of myself here, but what you want to do is make sure you do everything that is not of that category, even though you're a born-again believer. But what we see here is, first off, apostasy. And this word apostasy means departure. It means departure from, you know, everything that's of God. So we can see it as it's a departure from true authority. And that, that means authority, I, we could even say departure from divine government. But it, it's authority of God over all aspects of our lives. How we spend our time, what we do with our money. Uh, what we do at church, uh, what we do at work, uh, how we, what we do at home, in our marriages, raising our children, what we do in our alone time. You know, how to pray properly, how to study God's Word, to actually study God's Word. You know, on and on, how I live my life in every aspect of it, God has authority over every part of that. And apostasy means to depart from that. And we see it all over. It's all over the place. Always has been. It's amazing. It's easy to, it's so, I don't know, it's almost too easy to pinpoint now because it's so open. But this apostasy is both political and religious. Uh, we have authority of God and how to worship him. And like so to the exclusion of rituals and stuff like that, you don't worship God by, uh, you know, uh, certain bodily gestures like people think if I raise my hand while we're singing songs I'm worshiping God and now you might be but you worship God from your heart not from your hands where your hands on doesn't matter um, you know how do you worship God how do you pray uh, how do you you know the truth of God's word interpreting it rightly that's all a part of true religion you know, having knowing that the scripture is inspired and that you you are responsible to know all of it and political is, you know, it's truly what include how government should be run. And, and even if everybody involved in that wanted to do it God's way, it still wouldn't be perfect. So that's something else that we should know, that um, this ain't heaven yet. So there's no perfect system that is made up of fallen people. But, yeah, you know, we can always get better. You know, we're humble. We make corrections and stuff like that. And, and it could be how you run your home. Now, that in that is a little government. You are, if you're the father or mother, uh, you're you have uh, you've been elected, I guess, by God to be to have authority. And how you use that authority is a uh, you know, if you do it in apostasy, you're doing it outside of God's will. Then uh, lawlessness is departure from moral law. And this is lawlessness. How should we do everything? These are all the commands of God that are upon our lives. <clears throat> so this is what we see. When this lawlessness comes to be, we see that this will be manifested. What, we'll, what we see, as we just talked about, since the lawless world that is being held down by God, can still uh, teach its propaganda, its propaganda is going to be this. You know, because what it's going to become in the future is what it wants to be now. 
And so there's not like a, a change in program for them, for Satan and all, the, all his false doctrine. His false doctrines are all about departing from God. And, uh, and, the way, and, and of course, he's got to fool us to do that. And that's a part of the restraint. People are not going to, and they haven't. It must frustrate them to no end. People have not just gone lockstep and followed Satan. And I, I do mean all the unbelieving world. The unbelievers are like, you know what? I, I want things. I want stuff. You know, and you see reports now in our, our inner cities where they've kind of defunded the police and crimes running rampant. People moved out. They, they left. They said, we're not staying here. But don't you like lawlessness? Well, you know, <laughs> I'm not a worshiper of God. I don't go to church, but I don't want to get robbed. You know, and, you know, not getting robbed is a good thing. It's, it's very simply, it's a divine thing. Isn't do not steal part of the Ten Commandments? Don't kill? Thou shalt not Right? People, even though they don't worship God, when they start getting killed and stolen from, uh, they want it. And in this way, that's part of the way. In my estimation, it's part of the way. Some people think it's the way that God is restraining. God has put laws in this world, and because people want the good stuff, they... They'll give in to this program for a little while, but then when they start losing everything, they want out. Because Satan cannot provide the good stuff. He can't. He can't provide anything that's good. So he tries, but he can't. It's, it's really uh, magnificent. It's, it's actually seeing God at work throughout all of history because it's, it's been this same pervasive problem. That Satan hasn't been able. Well, he's restrained, but he hasn't been able to pull it all together. Uh, next, he opposes and exalts himself above all gods. That means he lusts for power and worship. With no competition. I mean, he's got to be the sole, only top dog. So oppose, He will not share power. So opposes and exalts above all gods. And then claims to be God. I love this one. This is that he is, he is, and these kingdoms, this kingdom, this lawlessness is completely delusional. How in the world do you think you can pull this off? In God's world. I mean, this is still God's world. You can't pull this off. There's no way you can pull this off. But I think they can. Just like people, uh, I, I, you know, for people who are in all economic categories where they are without God and oppose God, and I, I pity them, I weep for them. Because they're going to be judged and then deceiving. We ha- the people have to be deceived. And it says at the end of our passage that God is going to give them over to deception. But not randomly. God's not going to do this randomly. He says that they have rejected the gospel. They have rejected the truth. 
They have rejected faith in the truth, in the gospel. They've rejected the love of God for them, which is displayed at the cross. And they're deceived. So they've deceived themselves, just like Pharaoh, right? And Pharaoh, in the first few instances, I think really the first five plagues, it says he deceived his own heart or hardened his own heart. And then afterwards it says God hardened his heart. So we see this in our world today, correct, but it's not everywhere. There are places where people aren't deceived. Uh, generally, they would be believers, but um, and in some places it's more prominent than it is in others. In some places in this world, there is law and order. So, I mean, as everybody's moving to certain cities in Texas and in Tennessee, and for the very reason of that, that there's there's law and order there. But uh, you know, if you're living in Chicago or San Francisco right now or somewhere, and it's not. And so, but things may change. Once people get fed up with it, they may come in, crack down, and then, you know, crime goes down. Law goes up. And we say, oh, we fixed the problem. Oh, just wait. It'll be back. It always comes back. And that's this, what I'm getting at today. It's this, we're in this age of ups and downs. And you're, you and I are in them. I mean, you might have been a Christian in Poland in 1942, and you're you're occupied by the Nazis. You maybe that uh, Corey Ten Baum is, is still quite on my mind. I was very impacted by her book, and there she is in a concentration camp, changing people's hearts too with the, with God's word. So it's not everywhere at the sa- at the same level. And God is using something to restrain this evil power now. And scholars differ on what that restraining force is, whether it's uh, the Holy Spirit, the church, or governments. Those, those are the three more reasonable suggestions. And we do know that when the Antichrist rises to power, he will be opposed, as I said, by three kings, and then he will kill them. He's the king of the north, the south, and the east, and he will kill them and establish himself that's in the middle of the tribulation. He finally comes to power and rules all. There's actually an ecclesiastical body in Babylon that he's going to destroy as well. There's a church structure in the beginning of the tribulation that is really not what he's, it would seem. I can't go too far here. But we know in Revelation 17 that he makes war with this ecclesiastical power, destroys it, and then says, everybody worships me. So it goes to show us. That's another thing that the state and the church tries to work together <clears throat> to, to claim that power. The state uses religion to legitimize itself. And it's one of the re- when Paul rolled into Thessal- Thessalonica and basically in all the other cities that he went into and said, you know, basically he's saying there's the true king has come and died and now his salvation is to the world and that all who believe upon him will be, will be in his kingdom. <clears throat> the authorities didn't like that talk because, you know, they had their own religion. And they were the kings, and they didn't want any competition, and they didn't want anything ups, upsetting the people that they ruled. And so they persecuted it. <clears throat> so what is it about the people resisting why is it why is it that you don't want troops in your house? Let's say, let's think of this situation. You have 
three unruly teenagers in your house. Right? They, they, they won't pay attention to you. They keep getting arrested. They keep doing things that are bad. And you just, it's just awful. And then the government offers, well, we'll put some troops in your house, and they'll watch your teenagers. And at first, you'd probably be like, huh, that doesn't sound too bad. You'd still say no, right? I mean, even if it made your life better, you'd say, you know what? I want my freedom. You see, the Roman Empire, 30% of the population, 20 to 30% of the population were slaves. And yet, and they had um, a lot of those slaves had good lives. Three square meals a day. They had, um, you know, everything that they they needed. They were safe and secure. And if they were offered their freedom, they'd take it in a second. Even if their life or the circumstances of their lives got worse with freedom, they'd take it. People want freedom. People want autonomy, freedom, and the right to choose. Even if the right to choose is their own destruction. That's what I talked about on Sunday when you've gone far down the wrong road and every signpost comes up that says, please turn around or you're going to die. And you're like, I'm going anyway. What do we say? It's my life. My life. People say, you know, you shouldn't do that. My life. There was a time in my life where if you told me not to do it, I was not only going to do it, I was going to do it twice as hard. Just to flex my autonomy. Fortunately, God makes pain real. Now, I would never say that I escaped that by my own wisdom. <laughs> I wish. Uh, actually, maybe I don't wish that. Because that is, is truly God teaches you humility. Do you want to stay going down this road? Uh, and so... You know, but that's what people want. They're happier, even if they're destroying themselves, people are happier if they have the freedom to do it. And God put this in us. Why do we want that? This is all humanity now. We want this because we're made in God's image. But because we're a fallen image now, we're in God's image but fallen. We mess up a good thing. The good thing is freedom. Freedom's a good thing. The power to choose, oh, it's a good thing. But with it, I choose the wrong stuff. So because I'm fallen, I mess up a good thing. <clears throat> so the worst thing we can do with our freedom is to claim, or our, our autonomy, is to claim autonomy from God. We say that we're free of the burden of having to answer to this almighty God who's constantly putting burdens on us, and we throw him off. <sighs> we say we're free, and what, you're not, what you are is on your own. And is that freedom? Well, if you were, if you were, a, if you were God, it would be. But on your own, in your stupid condition, it's the worst place you can be. And when I say stupid, I don't mean, I mean all of us. We have this wonderful right to choose, but we can choose not to submit to him. And God could have done what the proponents of 
this ultimate freedom always do? They're doing it now. So the left, right? The, the left is the proper name for them. They're the anarchists in our, in our world. They're, they're the ones who um, are absolutely godless. And for whatever reason, <coughs> they think they're smarter than anybody, everybody else and so on. And they're offering, they, they offer freedom. That's what they're saying. They always, and this is not a modern phenomenon. They've always been around. They are offering freedom to mankind. Right, the free to be in our case, in our age, the whatever gender you want to be. Well, it's true freedom. But what if you disagree with them? <laughs> you are in trouble. They they don't say, oh, okay, well you're not on our team. Fine, you know we have enough on our team. No, they don't do that. They force you. They turn on you and force you to comply. Fortunately, in our day and age, it's only with cancel culture or whatever it is. You know, they may yell insults at you. They always call you a racist or a homophobe or something. And basically, it's verbal insults. Or you might get uh, um, excommunicated from your family or something. There was a time when uh, Vladimir Lenin gained control of Russia. In 1917, in the Bolshevik Revolution, uh, the English did a super smart thing and shipped him uh, over to Russia. Uh, I believe it was the Eng or was it the Germans? I can't remember now. I used to know that. But anyway, uh, Lenin gains control in Russia, and over the course of a year, he institute his, institutes his Soviet socialist republics. But not everybody liked it. You know, yeah, we didn't like the Romanovs also that great. You know, they were pretty rough. But this is worse. Collectivization and all that. They didn't like it. And so Lenin said, well, okay. Why don't I step down and have a free election? Or did he kill, murder, between 100,000 and 200,000 people? Called the Red Terror. Yeah, and it, uh, about 200,000 people were executed over the course of four years. That is, you, here's freedom. Yeah, I want a different freedom. You're dead. So what did God do? Did God turn around? Now, when we fell and we said, and this is what we did, we want God freedom. We want our own autonomy. We don't want you. God did not smash us, kill us. He didn't do that. He actually did something quite different. Who would have thought of it? God maintained our autonomy and freedom and our right to choose. And then, in the greatest display of love imaginable, he gave us his son. To do what? Believe upon him. He maintained our freedom. And our autonomy, our ability to choose. When I say autonomy, you know, not, we're not completely independent, but independent enough that when we hear the gospel for ourselves, ministered to by God the Holy Spirit, and we make that call, we're not forced to. Sorry, hyper-Calvinists, we're not. We're given the right to choose or to reject him. And what God did was give us him. Himself. 
It's amazing, actually, that this would be true. So while we see, and this is why the things that we learn, we glean so much, so many lessons from this paragraph in Second Thessalonians, which is all about end times, right? Is that this lawless one is coming, and what he's going to do is want and desire worship above all others. And we don't, Paul doesn't write it in this paragraph, but we see it in Revelation 13, that if you do not worship his image, you are put to death, just like Lenin. See, so it's not, Lenin did that. And this lawless one is going to do the same thing. It's just that Lenin had power for a little while over a short area, small area, during his lifetime. He didn't gain very much. And he went insane, like they all do. Uh, and he, you know, and up it goes, down it goes. Up it goes and down it goes. Now, it's going to be true also for this coming man of lawlessness and the tribulation that it's definitely going to go down. But what's different is he's going to truly be unrestrained by God and he's going to be allowed to rule the whole earth. The whole earth. This is clear. All kingdoms. And they're going to resist him. And so, uh, and so he's going to war against them. Now, isn't it amazing that the desire for world domination is here? And Jesus did that, hung on a cross for the sins of the world, and dominated the world that way. Not through force, not through violence, but through love. How should we, how should we rule? How should we rule our lives? The same way. How should I respond to those who resist me and resist the gospel and resist the truth, even if they're my loved ones? With love, sacrifice. That's what's going to speak to them. And that's the only way that Christ was going to establish his kingdom was by maintaining our desire. See, we love that. We love this. I get to choose him. And when I choose him, I receive him. And I become a part of it, right? He didn't force me to believe in him. He didn't force me into his kingdom. But he lovingly accepted me into his kingdom. And this Satan has tried to do since the beginning. It's not just in this age. Although in this age it's, it's a bit different um, because of the church and because Christ now sits at the right hand of God above all rule and authority that this desire for a worldwide domination is uh, a bit different now in our age. And that's because the church is here. Um, and the church is worldwide. The, but the desire, Satan's desire for world domination has always been. And when he's he never able to pull it off, he still can't. And he won't. He won't until God lifts this restraint. Now, you remember that Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world when he tempted him in the wilderness. 
took them up to a high place, showed them the kingdoms of the world, and said, these are all be yours. They've been given to me. I can give them to whomever I want. Right? Now, it made me think, because Satan has never been able to pull this off. Well, why hasn't he given them to somebody? He says, they've been given to me, and I can give them to whoever I want. Well, why don't you go ahead and do it? Because he can't. I'm sure he's tried. Maybe he's tried. But this dawned on me here, when thinking about this, this altogether, is that Satan offered the Son of God these kingdoms. If you bow down and worship me. Now, the man of lawlessness is going to say yes to this deal. It's going to be the same deal. And he's going to say yes. He offered it to Christ. In a way, and I would say, is it possible that he was offering to Christ to be his guy on earth? This is the son of God, but he's in humanity. He's added to himself humanity. And is with the weaknesses of humanity that he inherited... The limit, I show, and they are weaknesses if you're God. <laughs> if you're God, you become a man. You've taken a big step down. And, of course, he's maintained his deity. He is God forever. But Satan offered him rulership of the kingdoms of the world. In, in a way, Satan was saying to Christ, be my antichrist. Talk about delusional. He offered Christ to be his world ruler. While he was top dog. Why did he think in any way that Christ would even consider such a thing? But what did Christ say? I mean, his, his response, which comes from Deuteronomy, like in all those temptations, he responded with the word of God. His response is our response. Because as the kingdom, this lawless kingdom that is held down is trying to deceive us and trick us with false doctrine and get falsehood into our heads concerning all things in life will be offered good stuff if we do it the world's way right if we do it god's way he said look here are the kingdoms of the world he's going to say to us here's a little more money here's a little more ease here's a little more free time here's a little more recognition if you just and you say well you know i'm mostly spiritual what if i just what if i just take this path a little what if i just take some of this what or maybe it's a drug you know it's you know i i need to just take the edge off and get a little happier and it's and it's sinful and and i'm going towards something and i'm saying let me have a little of that and so our response is the Lord's response. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only. That's it. I could take that path or I could worship the Lord my God who is my only king, my only ruler, my only kingdom, my only future. And so, but isn't that a choice? And, you know, being behind the pulpit or in the comfort of the church, when we talk about it, we say, well, yeah, I mean, it's an easy choice. When you're in the heat of it and your flesh wants that, that's when it gets tough and it becomes a choice. God maintained our choices. And And when we start to choose properly, choose rightly by the power that God has given us, 
then we participate. We're not forced to. Like this ruler is going to force people. You know, there'll be no more ups and downs and ups and downs. This is it. This is it. The evil empire is finally taking control. The Death Star is finally complete. <laughs> if you watch Star Wars. And, and that's it. It rules the world. There's no more resistance. Right? Within the tribulation, there isn't a revolt that beats this guy. There isn't. There isn't a human revolt. There isn't a rebel alliance <laughs> that, that wins. There's no Jedis or anything like that. They're not gonna, it doesn't win that way. The only way that this man gets defeated is by Christ himself. Christ returns and puts an end to him. That's what the language of 2 Thessalonians says exactly. He puts an end to him. And to, and to this evil, it's over. Forever. Even the final revolt at the end of the millennium is not really a war. I mean, I guess it is, but it, they're devoured by fire from heaven in, a, in an instant. So, we get to choose who will reign over our lives our thoughts, our hearts, and our bodies. We decide this. Who will reign? And there's no half measures here or even three-quarter measures here. And if you're, and I talk about this quite a bit, if you're playing that game of giving God some of your life and then holding on to some other parts for your personal whatever, uh, then you're going to continue to suffer an incomplete lack of peace. That's what you're giving up. You're saying, but I've got some of God and i got some of me. You get, you're giving it all up. You're giving away your peace. There's, God doesn't promise us a partial peace. I'm not saying you don't have peace at times and you really enjoy God at times. You do. Absolutely. I'm sure you do but you're missing out on living in peace. God didn't give us peace so we could have it for an hour here and then two days from now we have it for ten minutes and then we're to have it all the time. Now, none of us have it all the time, but you should have it a great majority of your waking moments. If we compromise that, then we compromise everything. And what are we doing? You're playing religion. Right? This is not a religion. This is a complete change of life. Now, as... Um, let's see. Yeah. We'll go to Matthew 16. We'll close right here. Should be closing now. <laughs> Matthew 16, 24. One last passage. And tomorrow, I'll open with this tomorrow which is, and I love this topic, because when you look at this topic of this, you mean this happening in history always, the rise of evil, the defeat of evil, not completely ever, right, but rise and fall, rise and fall. Um, one of the great, and it completely influenced the whole Western world, was the Renaissance. And Renaissance, such a nice name for it. Right? 
art, you have literature, you got just Renaissance, beautiful. I would, some of my favorite artwork comes from this period. And, ah, uh, oh, it's just great. But you know what the Renaissance really was? Is It's really what it should be called is the period when the values of this world replaced heaven. We and, and people said, we're free, finally free. Now, from medieval Europe, though, the church was running everything, and the church was very corrupt, for sure. But once the Renaissance came, they were like, well, you see, we don't need God. We have us, and we're very smart now. We have science. We have political science. We have uh, medical science. We have philosophy. We rediscovered the Greek philosophers. It's just great. We don't need God. We figured it out. God, thanks for helping us this far, but we don't need you anymore. And that's the Renaissance. Happened about the time of Columbus. And it hasn't stopped. But anyway, look at Matthew 16, 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Does that sound like compromise? For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his glory of his Father and his angels. And then he will repay every man according to his deeds. Who really has the authority And when it says soul here, it doesn't. It could mean an unbeliever. You know, if you've given up, you rejected the gospel, and you've got what you've chosen. But it certainly applies to a believer too, because our souls are where our lives are lived, and your life has a conscience. Your soul has a conscience. It's in that conscience is what you value, what you love, what you consider to be good and bad. Your norms, your standards. Your priorities, it's all in there. And Jesus says, look, you compromise that conscience. And you're not going to find the life that I've given you. And that's pretty dire loss. And it's something we must not, we must say no. Now, Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this right after he told the disciples, i got to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to torture me, and I'm going to die. And Peter said, I forbid it. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And then he told him this. All right? Peter, where are your allegiances? They're to the world. They're to the, the way of the world. Your allegiance has to be to me, or you will not find your life. If Peter stayed in that mindset, he would have never become the apostle that he did. But he had to give it all away, right? He had to give away his earthly ties. All of them. And then he became the man of God that God wanted him to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this uh, continued teaching in this chapter by which your information or your teaching on the end times instructs us so much on the time that we're in and what we should value, what we should love, and what we need to be aware of. We know that the kingdom of darkness can use lies and deceit to 
uh, get into our hearts that we need to follow our Lord and to give all our allegiance to you. We ask, Father, that you enlighten each of us with those very challenges, and we ask in Christ's name, amen.